The New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports, or OASS, provides this podcast as a public service. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the agency or state. This is Addiction, the Next Step. I'm Jerry Gretzinger, your host of Addiction, the Next Step. And on today's episode, We're going to be doing something very important. You know, we often share useful information, uh, tips about support services available around the state of New York. And every now and then we get the opportunity to share a really inspirational, personalized story, something uh, that lets people know that, you know what, Uh, treatment and recovery works and can be really, really successful. And I'm so proud today that we're able to talk to Ken Kendall. He's from Western New York. He's in recovery after more than four decades working through addiction, started when he was just eight years old. Ken, thank you for joining us, and thank you for sharing your story. Hello, Jerry. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. I want to thank you for uh, being a part of our, our podcast. Uh, excited to to talk about your story. But first, I, I want to kind of get to, to know Ken a little bit. You know, Tell us, where are you from in New York State? Uh, you know, Where do you live? What do you do? I live in Dunkirk, New York. I am a uh, recovery peer specialist with the Mental Health Association of Chautauqua County. And so, so take us back a little bit, you know, tell us uh, the, the early years of Ken, like what did, where did you go to school? Did you always live out there in the Dunkirk area? You know, what did you do for work? No, I've lived all over the U S from California, Michigan, Indiana, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, New York state. In my younger years, I lived in Warren, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you're, you're back here in New York. When, when did you find yourself back in New York? Uh, it would be early, uh, 2002. I moved back here from California. All right. So we've had you here about 20 years now. Yes. So, all right. So do do me a favor, Ken. So I know we're here to talk to you today about your experience with substance use and then the, the journey you went through that brought you to where you are today. So I guess I'll ask you where, where does that part of your story begin? What's, what's the best point to say, hey, th- this is when things started to, to develop for Ken in that regard? Eight years old. Eight? I, yeah. Um, my parents were uh, going through divorce. I was the oldest of four children. Really traumatic stuff happened to me at eight. You know, um, my dad left us. You know, uh, my mom um, didn't know what to do with herself because she was a young mother. I mean, my mother had me when she was 16. So, I mean, she wasn't much older than me, you know. And when my dad left, I didn't know. I, I pretty much thought it was my fault why he was leaving. You know, and, and I had uh, one of my uncles introduce me to marijuana at eight. At eight, and eight years old. At eight, at eight years old, yes, sir. And it just it made me feel good. You know, I didn't have to think about dad not being there or mom out with other people or other men. And, you know, feeling so alone, you know, my addiction progressed rather fast. I mean, by the time I was 13, I was freebasing cocaine and I was a troubled, troubled child. My, uh, I had a step cousin, male step cousin, sexually assaulting me at a young age. And then by the time I was 12, you know, my dad's second wife, uh, you know, took my dad saying when he was in a home that I was the man of the house 
so literally, um, too literally, she started sexually assaulting me, and you know it. Uh, it really had me messed up in the head. Uh, Ken, I mean, uh, I'm I'm sure it's not enough for me to say I, I'm so sorry to hear what you had to go through in all those early years. But I, I, I guess I'd want to say come full circle to the point now where you have you continued that journey and it brought you to where you are today. Tell, tell everybody again what it is you're doing today. Today I'm a, a peer specialist with the Mental Health Association. And what that is, it's um, I got into recovery. It'll be four years ago, May 19th. I work with the um, Mental Health Association helping others find their recovery path out of addiction. Yeah, And I know you're but, doing uh, that because yes. you found your recovery path. Uh, yeah. And I, I, how old are you now, Ken? I am 54 years old now. 54. I spent 42 years in addiction. Wow. Uh, Cause I was just going to say, you told us that you started with marijuana at eight. I think you said free basing cocaine at 13, right? Yeah. And so it was just at, that recently. And by that, 18, yeah. Yeah. And by 18, I was, you know, uh, found methamphetamines. Oh, you know, Are you I lost my brother. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost my brother back in 2014, um, May 6, 2014. Mm. And um, that sent me into a whole nother tailspin. I know you had mentioned to us offline uh, that that was sort of what really uh, elevated the issues that you were dealing with at that point. T- tell me, mm-hmm. when, when you lost your brother, what did that how did that affect you when it came to addiction and substance use? Oh, it, it um, made me so angry, Jerry. I, I, I was mad at the world. It, it's it, it me. I mean, I went from being a functioning addict that could hold jobs, uh, hold on to relationships to an unfunctioning addict that just didn't care if I lived or died. And, um, that went on until, uh, May 19th of, uh, well, May 18th of, uh, 2019 was the day I, I, of my last overdose. And I, uh, OD'd behind the wheel of a motor vehicle doing 123 miles an hour with, um, Pennsylvania state troopers chasing me I and I hit a parked vehicle. And how, wow, you hit a parked vehicle. So and no yeah. one else was in the other vehicle, but how, how are you then? I don't know how to explain it, but when I hit that vehicle, I was blown into the back seat of the, my uh, vehicle. And all I wound up with was a bruised chest and a, a scratch on top of my head. But I wound up in uh, the Warren, Pennsylvania jail. And uh, I dreamt, I laid there for seven days and dreamt that I killed a child in that wreck. Mm. Thank God when I found out that I didn't hurt nobody that there was nobody in that vehicle, that was the day I decided to make my, my, my life change. At that moment. At that moment. I want to go back for one second. You said you, said you had lost your brother, and I, I don't know that we uh, discussed how that happened. Was, was he in substance use as well? Yes, he was. My brother OD'd um, two days after his 42nd birthday. And um, me and him hadn't been talking at that time, because we had issues with, we both had issues with substances, and I was mad at him over something. He was mad at me over something, and I never, 
I never got to make amends with him while he was alive, even though he had tried and tried with, you know, to, to, uh, apologize that I was so stubborn and so headstrong back then that, you know, I didn't believe him, yeah. you know, and that, that really ate at me, Jerry, uh, for a very long time. And I was mad when he died because, you know, I'm the older brother, you know, you're not supposed to go before me was my, my thought and my mentality of it. And I'm sure that sense of, I don't know, unfinished business, like you said, that you guys hadn't been speaking, hadn't had an opportunity to resolve what needed resolution. Correct. Also played into how you reacted going forward then. You said you got you know, you know more into the substance use and you got angry at the world. Yeah. I just had a, you know, and not to go off topic, but, and then this last weekend I had someone pass away on me. Just now, just recently. Yeah, just recently. Saturday, I was uh, working our warming center in Jamestown, and I was told someone was ODing on the other side of our building. I ran over and Narcan and everything and was unable to save her. So that brought up some really, you know, unresolved issues with my brother's death as well. So I'm sure. You know, as you mentioned that, when you lost your brother, the coping mm-hmm. mechanism you had at the time was to turn to substances. You had Correct. this experience just recently that brought up those old memories. What? Yes. What? So now, obviously, you've gone through a lot of, of recovery processes and such. But what? If, mm-hmm. What's what's the journey been like going from the way you responded to that sort of an incident back when you were in substance use to now? How were you able to handle it now to not turn to substances and and find another way forward? Well. Now I know that substance isn't the answer. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not having some mental issues with it because it's brought up the unresolved issues with my brother. But I also have the coping mechanisms now to know not to hold it in, to be able to, to speak to other peers, other counselors, and to work through the issues. Am I saying, I, you know, I'm through it and it don't bother me? No way. But I'm not going to go back down the, the proverbial rabbit hole because, you know, I know that's not the way I want to live my life again. You know, I, I hold myself accountable because of the things I do now over here in Dunkirk, you know, being the manager uh, of our Dunkirk office here at MHA and also being the peer with Dunkirk Treatment Court and Opioid Court. So, you know. Well, you know, it, you were talking about how it still hurts. You know, it brings up those yeah. those feelings. And that's that's being human, right? I, I've yeah. talked to some other people who have uh, lived through substance use or in recovery. And uh, they've told me that, you know what, um, I, I used substances because I, I didn't want to deal with the pain. Right. Uh, you know, that part of just being human is is a lot. And that was, that was this other person's way of, of handling that. But it sounds like you did the same, but you've come to a point now where you realize, I, I, you tell me, it, it doesn't mask the feeling, it doesn't address them, it just hides them for a while? Yeah, and that's all the, the narcotics would do. It would mask it, it would numb it, it would make you not feel or think. And, you know, um, now I'm able to process it differently um, without being numb. A little more painful, but I'd rather feel the the pain and the grief and know I'm human, but also know I'm alive. Yeah, if that makes sense, you know. I, I mean, 
you know, before numbing it and everything else, it, it, it didn't make them problems go away. You know, it didn't resolve them problems by no means. And now being more open, it, it also helps my participants that I deal with on a daily basis. Sure. Yeah, I bet it does. You know, the, the raw emotions, you know, I mean, I guess that's what I was hiding before, you know, when I was in active use and, um, is not wanting to have them, them emotions and that, that, that pain and that, that, um, mental anguish. But, you know, if you don't work through them, it's just going to, you know, multiply and magnify by millions. And then, you know, you're back doing the same thing that you fought so hard to get out of. Right. Those emotions are still waiting for you. Right. And, and it just seems like they, they magnify, you know, and usually if you, you're dealing with that and going, you know, using drugs to, to get through it, then you're, you're not just, you're usually picking up, you know, legal charges and stuff like that. And I don't want to live that way no more because I know, <clears throat> I know how good it is on this side of it, of recovery. Um, you know, you just said something that I think is great for people to hear. You said, I know how good it is on this side of recovery. Yes. And I can only imagine that's not something, a feeling that you came to right away when you went into treatment to get to recovery. No, no, it wasn't. Um, it's something that I've learned and, and grasped, you know, it, it's, I didn't destroy myself overnight, you know, so it takes time to uh, rebuild yourself. So it's taken time to to come to that reality. But when we work with other peers or, you know, with participants, you know, to help them open up, we we go along and explain things that help work for us. Might not work for them, but we can find other things and other avenues to, to help them get to where, they want to be like this. And again, another great message you just gave along to people who, who need to hear it is that what worked for one person might not work for another, but you're there to help them find what does work. Right. Yeah. Hey, you know, I want to, I want to go back. Uh, part of your story that we haven't touched on yet um, in the, the week or, or 10 days, eight days preceding that, that crash you told us about where you hit the, mm-hmm. the parked vehicle um, yes. make, make sure I've got my numbers right here. Is it my understanding? Or I get my understanding is, uh, you had, you overdosed 10 times in the 10 times the last, wow. last week I used just yes, 10 times. And, and I'll be honest with you. Every time I overdosed, I was angry. I was angry. Someone brought me out because at that time, all I wanted to do was join my brother, you know? And, um, you know, now I'm grateful that they narcan me. I'm grateful they brought me back because I'm not only living the best life for myself, but I'm also able to live the best life for him and honor his memory yep. for what somebody was, you know, was able to do for me wasn't for him. So now I live to the fullest every day to try to, to um, help others out just like us. Can, can you said now, uh, you're appreciative that that they administered the naloxone and that they you know reversed the overdose. 
Yeah. You know, we hear some stories sometimes that when there is somebody in overdose and it's reversed, um, they're not always, like you're saying, you are now appreciative. Uh, right. I, go ahead. I mean, because most of us, when we're in that stage uh, of our addiction and we're running to the, the drug that we know is killing people, a lot of us, it is for that reason. We, we're, we're ready to, to give up because we didn't know how to overcome our addiction. You know, am I saying I, I'm overcoming? No, I'm still an addict. I'm just in recovery. I will always be an addict, and I have to keep that in, in the, the forefront of my brain, you know, because if we come, become complacent in our, our recovery, there's a good chance that we could relapse. And that's important, too. You know, I know here uh, at Oasis, um, we make sure to say that, you know, people are living in recovery. You don't say they're recovered because, uh, as, as you're explaining right now, it's not like you get to an end point and say, hey, I'm done. Right. No. Not in the least. Yeah. But as you also pointed out, what keeps you going is knowing how good it is on this side. Yes. You know, and not only that, you know, um, Jerry, I, I gained so much back in my, since I've gotten into recovery. I mean, my wife is back in my life, you know, my children, my grandchildren. I just have made so many great friends and people in my life here um, in recovery. I mean, I wouldn't want to let them down either. You know, and life is, is good. Am I saying there ain't hard times? You know, I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a hard day. But it, you know, the, the good days and the amazing days and the blessings all outweigh the struggles and the, the you know, the hard times in a day. And that's you good know? that you can see that. You, you, uh, you understand that now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, got, I have another question. I just, this has been bouncing around my mind since you said it about the, uh, the 10 overdoses in the week before that accident. Mm-hmm. You said you appreciate the fact that you were, had the overdoses reversed. Did you ever get to meet any of the first responders or whoever the folks were at the time who, who did help to reverse that, that overdose? And, um, I met the one state trooper. I can't remember his name. It's, it's been, you know, five years for, or four years for that. Um, the rest were, were people that I knew in our, in my addiction. A lot of them are still in that, that life. Really? Wow. Yeah. Do you work with them in the, the position that you're in now to try to help? Uh, a few of them. Yes. I, I've, uh, I've actually got to send a few of my participants that I knew personally to rehabs, you know, and they come back and thank me, you know, and it's not a better feeling because, you know, even though I don't hang out with these people anymore, you know, that, that, that I was in active using with because, you know, I can hang out at them, you know, through the MHA but to do it on the streets, I can't do that yeah. because I have to put my sobriety first. Yeah. Um, you know, talking, you talked about the state trooper who was one of those who helped to reverse the overdose. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes also we hear about um, fatigue that first responders can go through, you know, when they do have to respond multiple times, yeah. possibly to the same house, the same person. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I'll tell you, one of the things that I find so inspiring about the story you're telling us right now is that some of the folks who have had to respond to the same houses, the same people over and over may question, will they ever find their way out of this? And here you are, 
as you said, 10 overdoses in one week, you found a way at that point, something that motivated you to say, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm going to make things right. And you have. So each of those people who helped to reverse those overdoses can sit back now and say, you know, you know what? Every single time was worth it because look what Ken's doing now. And Ken, I, I got to say for our organization, our agency, we love the fact that you were using your experience to help others now. And that's just, it's tremendous. I'm grateful for them folks. Um, but also, yeah, uh, I had, you know, as a recovering addict or someone that's, it's a way giving back to our community uh, of is the best way to, to um, pay homage to the folks that helped us. And um, it also helps me stay sober by working and helping somebody else. Let me ask you this as we, as we get ready to wrap up. Um, we hope that we have a lot of people listening uh, who are looking for some inspiration, some information, uh, you know, thoughts as to, you know, what they might be able to do to assist themselves, assist others they know. What's, what's your message to someone who either is in active use and is thinking, all right, maybe I got to do something about this or has a loved one who is? What, what, do you, what do you say to them to help them just to continue making the effort? Well, I believe that um, every life is worth saving. And uh, we have to, you know, there, there's a lot of organizations out there, a lot of programs out there that can help your family member or yourself find your path to a recovery that you want. So don't give up hope. Because as long as we have breath in our body, we have the opportunity or the ability to make a life-changing decision and change our lives for the better. Living proof of that, Ken. That's you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, this is this has been terrific. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. I know sometimes it's not always easy to go back and share some of this information about your brother, your story, but you did it for us today. You did it for the people listening. And Oasis thanks you a great deal. Thanks so much, Ken. I thank you guys at Oasis for what you do for people like us out here in the streets um, trying to make a difference. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, you can reach out for help. There are many resources available. We talk about them a lot on the podcast. You do not need to go through it alone. You can call our Hope Line, 8778-HOPE-NY. You can also visit our website, oasas.ny.gov, oasis.ny.gov. Thanks for listening to this episode today. I'm Jerry Gretzinger. This is Addiction, The Next Step. <music>